done uh, a series to kick the year off about the story of God, and we are storyline Christian community, so it's important that we remember and recall the story that um, is our namesake and is part of what defines us and, and uh, part of where we get our identity from. And uh, Charles kicked us off a few weeks back with creation. What do we learn about God and creation? What do we, what do we learn about ourselves and our role? And then uh, Ben shared with us kind of what happens next, the, the dumpster fire. So if you're here, you heard all about the dumpster fire. And whether it's now and right in front of us in our world, or if you go back to the very beginning, unfortunately, you can't escape it. The dumpster fire is there. Brokenness is in our world, and it's in us. And we haven't been able to get, get rid of that. And so, um, I've got the next part of our story, and it deals with the people of Israel. And I love to give the easy uh, parts of series, so I've got the rest of the Old Testament to cover this morning. So, (laughs) that'll be good for all of us. Uh, uh, Sit back and get ready. Um, In our men's group, uh, Genius Heights MC, we've been going through a book on the Enneagram. And some of you are Enneagram experts. (coughs) And I have resisted the Enneagram. There's one right there, uh, the Reese family, experts. Um, I've resisted because I've done all these personality tests. You know, have y'all all done Myers-Briggs and the DISC profile and some other ones? And it's kind of like, stop putting me in a box, you know? Like, it, it, I always kind of feel bad. I don't feel great after getting, finding out about more about my personality. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. They're diagnosing you over here. Oh, I know. And I've said that, and they said, yeah. And so I, and against, against the rules of the Enneagram, some of you have said, okay, this is who, what number you are, Paul. Um, clearly you're not ones because you uh, broke the rules. But the Enneagram is about personalities, <laughs> one through nine. And uh, so people said, oh, Paul, you're nine. And so as I've explored more about it, um, I've come to believe that I probably am. And one of the things about nines is that we love to look at all the options. Like if there's a problem, like I want to explore it from all different angles. I want to think about it. Let's talk about it. I want to see it from your point of view and your point of view. And that's great. That can be a real benefit. But if you're if you're married to a nine, or if you work closely with a nine, uh, my dear friends over here, sometimes you get to the point where you're like, make a decision. Come on, Paul. We've got to actually do something about this. And we can't keep talking about it. When is this guy going to act and do something? For the record, I've never said that. No. <laughs> In those but, specific words. <laughs> yeah, never said it. Said it is the key. Um, and so when we get to this point of the story, you know, God makes a world and he says it's good. And then the dumpster fire happens and there's brokenness. And I think we have a right to, to look at God at this point and say, what are you going to do about it? What are, how are you going to respond to this? Like you, you kick this whole thing off, you guys started, what are you going to do? And in this part of the story, we start to learn a little bit about what God is going to do uh, with his creation. And so, of course, this is 1,500 years of history, the Old Testament, the story of Israel. Uh, we can only hit a few highlights, and there's many things that we can draw from the story, but I'm going to focus us in on one thing, uh, the idea of partnership. Um, and I'm going to draw out four different stages of the story of Israel so that we can think about partnership. Um, I've got a little slide up here. So we've got calling We've got slavery, kingship, and exile. 
Um, so explore this with me. We start off with calling, and this is in Genesis chapter 12, uh, which Julie just read a few moments ago. And we meet this guy named Abram and his wife Sarai, and I'll just call him Abraham and Sarah uh, now, since it's more familiar with us, and that's kind of how God changes their names anyway. But God says uh, to Abraham, listen, I've got something for you. I, ultimately, Abram, I want to bless the whole world through you guys. So God is looking at the problem, he's looking at the dumpster fire, and he's going to do something about it. And he, he chooses to reach down to one of his own creation. He says, hey, would you help me out with this? i got something for you to do in this process. And so Abraham says, okay, let's do it. And so they move their family to the land of Canaan. Now, in chapter 15, God explains a little bit more about what he wants. He says, you know, Abraham, what I want to do, I want to bless the whole world uh, through your family. And so your family is going to be so huge. Look up at the stars in the sky. And they didn't have any city lights to get in the way of those stars. So he looks up and there's more than he can count. He says, that's how many uh, your descendants are going to be. More than you can count. It's going to be awesome. And so Abraham says, that's great. Only problem is, he and his wife, they can't have any kids. And so, kind of a side theme to the theme of partnership is that often whenever there's a sense of God uh, inviting us to do something, there are also times when the people in, in the story of Israel, and probably us too, we try to figure out how to make it work with our best wisdom, our best understanding, our best power. And so, um, because they can't have any kids, uh, even though God said, you're going to have kids, uh, Sarah and Abraham get together and like, okay, we're going to make a plan. You remember what they came up with? Surrogate. Surrogate. <laughs> kind of. Kind of, yeah. Hagar. Servant girl. Like right? in vitro 4,000 years ago. Yeah. And so they bring in Hagar, and they say, and Sarah says, Abraham, why don't you have a kid with her? And Abraham's like, yeah, sure. Sounds good to me. Good plan. So they have a kid. Because, again, they're trying to fulfill their obligation in this partnership with God. Um, to, to play their part. Except that, does the... Does do things work out well? Does the dumpster fire decrease because they go their own way? No, no, the fire increases, conflict increases. It's really bad when you read it for Hagar and Ishmael. They get ostracized from the family. It's not good for Abraham and Sarah either. It's not a good idea. So God God doesn't give up on them. He invites them back in their old age. In their old age, they have a son, and his name is Isaac. And so this theme of partnership, God saying, I want to bless the world. I want to do something about this problem. And then this kind of side theme of people taking things into their own hands uh, runs through the story of Abraham and Sarah's descendants. So, fast forward, uh, we go to the Exodus story now. So, a couple hundred years of history and 30 seconds. The people end up in Exodus. They uh, multiply greatly to the point where a new ruler comes to town, a new pharaoh, and he looks at them all and he says, look at all these Hebrew people, I don't like them all running around free. And they are enslaved. For four generations, they are enslaved in the land. Now, what's God going to do? He's made a plan. What is he going to do about it? We read about this in Exodus chapter 3. And again, we're looking at the theme of partnership. So, let's go here. Hey, we got it here. Um, the Lord says in verse 7 and 8, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a land that's good and spacious, 
a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, etc., etc. And then he skips to verse 10, or I'm skipping to verse 10, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So again, you've read uh, Exodus at some point, or you watched one of the movies. Like God does amazing things, but he says, I want to bring in one of my creation to be a part of that with me. And Moses, he's a little bit nervous about the whole partnership. He doesn't want to do it. But God convinces him, you know, he gives him leprosy on his hand, and he takes it away, makes his, his staff turn into a snake, and he convinces him it's going to be okay. And so Moses uh, joins him with God. And then when you read the Exodus story, sometimes Moses kind of goes it alone and tries to figure things out on his own. doesn't work out too well. But whenever he follows and trusts after God, amazing things happen. And he becomes a leader of his people. And they, they leave from Egypt. And you've got the sea parting and crashing down on the Egyptians. And they make it back to this mountain where they first met God. And there's this storm on the mountain. And what does God do? He offers to the people uh, another opportunity for partnership. He says, you know, I offered this to your forefathers and your foremother, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, I want to bless the world through them. And now I want to bless the whole world through all of you. So in Exodus 19, uh, we read about this covenant that God wants to make with the people. Now, covenant, the language of partnership in the Old Testament and the New Testament is language of covenant. And covenant is unique in terms of relationship because it's not just agreement about we're going to do something, not just promises, but there is a, a change that happens in the relationship. The closest thing we have to it is marriage, where you're not just making promises, you're not just agreeing to something. Uh, you, are, you are changed. Your identity somehow changes and becomes interlocked with this other person. And so uh, this is what God offers. He says, I'm, I'm wanting to do something in the world I want to make covenant with you. I want to be tied to you in this mission. I think that's, that's kind of amazing that God would want to do that. Um, so he reaches out to all the people now, uh, these free Hebrew slaves, and he says, I want to make covenant with all of you too. And in chapter 19, we've got a verse here. says he's describing his covenant. He says, now if you obey me fully, keep my covenant then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you ought to speak to Israelites. He's talking to Moses here. And so what God is saying is, it's not just that I want to put my gold star on you so you can be a special people and feel good about yourselves. He's like, I'm choosing you for a purpose. I want you to be priests to the world on my behalf. You know what the role of a priest is? Is to be the connection point between the creator and the created. He's saying, would you join in with me? I'm doing something here. I know you don't understand all of it, but I want you to be priests for the whole world. I want you to be people that, that reveal myself to the world. That's the partnership he's looking for here. And so he's asking them to be his priests. And what do they say? They say, sure, we'll, we'll do it. With some fear and trepidation. Um, but they want to do it. So partnership with the whole people. Um, the next piece of the puzzle, a couple hundred years past. Um, just because God offers partnership doesn't mean that the people he's partnering with escape the dumpster fire. You don't get to be free of that just because you're doing something with God. You don't escape brokenness in the world or brokenness in yourself just because God has given you assignment. 
In fact, sometimes that highlights the brokenness in you. There's a verse that says God, God's uh, power is made perfect in our weakness. I think that's kind of getting at some of that. Um, but the people find themselves in the land of Canaan. And I know I'm skipping over a lot of history here. Um, but they find themselves there. And there's a sense in which, after a few generations, they kind of forget who they are. They forget this partnership. And I think what happens is, I think the, they see the fire around them. They see the brokenness around them. And they got distracted by it. I think we get distracted by it, too. And so you forget that you've got some assignment from God because, you know, your life sometimes feels like crap and you've got to do something about it. And so some of the things that they start to do is try to get some control over their world. And they would do this by, in that part of the, in that time, in that place, they would do this by uh, offering a sacrifice to this God or to that God. If they offered a sacrifice to this God, maybe it would rain. They'd have a better crop. If they offered it to this God, um, maybe they would have victory in battle. And so this is sort of the thing they start to do. And what you can see here is, A, that's a breaking of the covenant because God said, I want you to rely on me for all these things. And they're just kind of hedging their bets and they're, they're offering a sacrifice here and there. The thing is, is when you start to see people uh, try to control the situation themselves, the more you try to do that, I think the more you're willing to sacrifice on your values. Um, and what you see is not just that they're cheating on God in, in, in a worship sort of way, but their society and their morals, their values, they start to unravel as well. And so you read this in the book of Judges where uh, things go from bad to worse. It's not just about worshiping false gods. It's, there's a book called uh, You Are What You Love by James Bryant Smith kind of gets at this. Um, this idea that you become like what you start to worship. And so when you read the book of Judges, things get worse and worse. And no longer are the people of Israel starting to, are, are they considering themselves as priests to the world. But the fire of brokenness around them is just growing and growing. And when you read that story, it's depressing. Like, it's full of drama. If you like drama and violence, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, then Judges is your book. Um, it gets, it gets kind of ugly. And by the end of Judges, things are so broken around them that they're looking for answers. And once again, they don't, they don't go to God to look for answers. Um, they look around at their neighbors and the surrounding nations and they say, okay, how do, they, how do they have some more control over their dumpster fire? Well, if you just had a king, then you'd feel like you had more control. And so they ask uh, the leader at the time, Samuel, who's a prophet at the time, they say, hey, Samuel, uh, get us a king. And Samuel says, that's a bad idea, guys. We're in covenant with God. He said, no, we really need a king here to solve some of these issues. And so Samuel goes to God, and he says this on the next slide. Um, oh, this is the that first part is, is in uh, Judges. Israel, Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, served the Baals. But when they said, uh, and now this is the next part, and they said, give us the king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected but they have rejected me as their king. So they're distracted by the chaos, and so they reach out uh, to another answer for that, for that, and they forget the covenant with God. This is the kingship period. Okay, third one we're paying attention to here. And what I noticed is that 
at first in the kingship period, things look like they're looking up for Israel. Um, some of the problems that they're facing, uh, their enemies, once David becomes king, uh, he unites the tribes and they start fighting battles, they start winning wars, he defeats Goliath, that kind of thing. And so they've got this national identity develop, developing and they've got some power in terms of their military. So that feels kind of good. Things are looking up. The fire is dissipating a little bit. And then David's son Solomon is, is wise and he figures out ways to bring wealth to the nation. So they have some wealth and some prestige and they, they build this huge temple and they fill it with gold things and it's beautiful. And the other nations say, wow, Solomon is a, is a wise king. Something's going on in Israel. And they start to come and they visit and they, they look at everything and they're like, yeah, wow, this is, a, this is a beautiful place you've got here. And so now Israel has got, they've got power, they've got prestige, they've got some prosperity. And it seems like maybe we've got this life thing, this, this dumpster fire stuff worked out. Only they, just because you have those things, just because you have a little bit of wealth, you have a little bit of power, you have some more esteem from the people around you, that doesn't solve things. And as generations pass, things go from bad to worse. Uh, civil war happens. The country breaks apart into two kingdoms. You've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And before long, uh, after several hundred years again, and God warning them and, and asking them to come back to the covenant, uh, you have this northern empire, the Assyrians, come in and they take out uh, the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, and they ship them off as slaves. And then in another hundred years, the Babylonians come. They take out Judah and they ship them off as slaves. And this period is called the exile. And in the exile of the story of Israel, um, their identity basically has been destroyed. Because their identity had become wrapped up in the land, which they no longer lived in. In the temple that they built with their wealth, which was destroyed, demolished, burnt to the ground. Um, in the fact that they thought they were chosen in the sense that God would protect them from anything that could happen to them, and he didn't. It seems like God has forsaken them. And so, where is God? Who are we if God doesn't protect us? Who are we if we don't live in this land? Forgetting that this whole thing got kicked off when Abraham and Sarah lived in Mesopotamia, where they're at now as slaves. Um, who are we? And they look back at their history. They look back at all that's happened. And they start to make sense of it. And as they reflect on it, when you read the historical books about Israel, you can see them reflecting and saying, Oh yeah, we forgot all about the covenant. We, we turned to other things other than God, and that's why this happened. We, we did evil in the eyes of the Lord, a.k.a. we broke the partnership. And that's why this happened. And you see this reflection at the end of Second Kings, at the end of Chronicles, these books about their history. They're looking back and they're explaining... To themselves why this developed and they said we broke we broke the partnership and then they're released and they're let let go and they're allowed to come back to Israel and they reform the nation but at that point something's changed when you read about them coming back the people are humble they are they're devoted to God like they weren't before and they still seem kind of lost. Like, their identity is not completely reformed. And there's this sense in which, oh yeah, we were supposed, supposed to play this role, but it doesn't seem like we're able to play it. 
We were supposed to be able to kind of uh, be different from everybody else, but it doesn't seem like we're any different. We were supposed to be free as a nation, but now the Greeks and the Romans have taken over again. And what are we going to do if we're not free as a nation? And there's, as a national, uh, in, in a national sense, they start to cry out again. But this time they cry out to God and they say, God, if something's going to fix this problem, it's going to have to come from you. And we need you to choose someone. We need you to anoint someone. And we're waiting on you to come and fix this mess. We are waiting on you. And that's, that's the end of the Old Testament. They're waiting on God to do something about this problem. They know they've been chosen, but they have not been able to live into that identity. And so they are waiting on him to come and fix it. So this, this theme of partnership that I'm highlighting that runs through this story. What is, let me stop. I'm going to stop talking. What does that mean to you that when God desires to, to do something about the brokenness in the world, he wants to partner with his creation? What does that mean to you? Yeah. Um, on one hand, it seems easy, and on the other hand, it seems kind of hard. Because if I think about, like, Ben and I as a partnership, or, you know, if I'm working on a project with another person and we're partnering in this thing, um, it's really easy to and it may be depends on your personality also, but it's really easy to be the louder, vo- the louder voice, right? And you're like, uh, you know, talking more than you're listening or um, <coughs> making sure that things get done. Um, and so, like, on one hand, I feel like <coughs> partnering can take some of the responsibility, like, off. Like, oh, okay, we're doing this together. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, there's just still, you know, something within me that's like, okay, but we need to be doing something, right? What should we be doing right now? Yeah. So a sense of, like, trying to take it into your hands to, to figure it out. Okay. Duncan. Um, one of the ideas that I, I've really attached to is, like, a, a, a father who invites a son or a mother who invites a daughter to do something that they can do alone. Um, but because they know it's good for the child, mm-hmm. like my, my father takes his car, I'm horrible with my hands, and he would invite me and get frustrated, <laughs> right? But he would invite me because he knew there was a, a sense of accomplishment on the other end that was that was good for me. Um, and that's that's often how I think of partnership from a from a upward downward view like that is I could do this without you, but it's so much about so much more valuable. <coughs> and that's what I see in, in Israel is is God continuing to pursue them for their own good mm-hmm. and for the good of the car, right? And for the good of the world. Yeah. That both things are true. Um, and I think they struggled with ideas <coughs> of, of wanting to just get it done. Um, in the quickest and most efficient way possible, rather than the route he was taking them that allowed them to not only fix the car but build a relationship. Yeah. You know? That's good. Thank you. What else? Partnership. Yeah, John. I think about EEM. Um, mm-hmm. 
I mean, the uh, <coughs> those countries in, in Eastern Europe and uh, Slavic countries understand that when the Bible is presented in the public schools, they learn these stories. It develops, it, it develops character, so there's less violence and craziness and, and foolishness as they become adults. They recognize that. They want the Bibles in public schools. Wow. That was also what our founding fathers said, that we need that we had the scriptures to have a moral people. Well, God needs calls on people, actual people, to go pay for those and deliver those and facilitate that so he can do his work in the souls of the children. So, I mean, God could just magically or supernaturally or cause one multi-billionaire to do the whole thing in a minute. But he calls for all these folks to work together to do this greater project for the, for the sake of the character of the children in there. I mean, it's like, voila. Yeah. Yeah. And I was wondering as I was thinking about this, it, is this idea of partnership, is it really legit? Is that really what God wants to do? But, and I, I asked God that. I was like, is this just going to have an idea for sermon? But um, the, the answer as I was praying is like, look at the life of Jesus. Jesus goes about his ministry, and, and we talk about the in and the out. And the in is Jesus investing in these people, and he's saying, I want you to do what I'm doing. And so that through the life of Jesus and then through the life of the church, and we're skipping ahead to the later parts of the story, but I think partnership is legit. Like that is that is what God wants to see happening. He really does want to partner with us. Um, so we are, are a church that says we, we want to join God um, and join our neighbors in, in discovering our roles in God's story. Um, and we want to be on mission with God. We want to go out with God and, and, and be about the things that he's doing. But if you're, if, for the person that's wondering, okay, what does that even look like? How do, how do I, if I feel an angst inside of me, I feel like, hey, the world is a dumpster fire. My nation, my city, my neighborhood, I'm seeing it. I'm talking to people. My life is a dumpster fire. I see it in the church. And you're feeling that angst and you're wondering, what do I do about that? What, what does someone do about that? How do, you, how do you actually join God in mission? For those of you that have felt like God has invited you in some way, could you help explain a bit of that? What does it look like? I think sometimes we, I have anyway, have just thought that it was some, some big thing that I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and maybe that's my number one in me. Um, but... Um, I thought about the other day when there when there was there's a lady on our team at work that is from Africa that has only been here for one year and I find out that she is here by herself her children and her husband are still in Africa and they're trying to come over here and I find this out and and I encourage her um, and you know, talk to her about that and kind of dig around in there with her and how does that feel and, you know, what are your thoughts and, you know, and we kind of talked about, you know, what we were founded on and, and people coming in and just, I, I just dug around in there with her, you know, and not even thinking about it, you know, and then when we get ready to leave, everybody calls me Miss Terry because I'm the oldest one in our whole team, <laughs> in our whole program. And she, she said, Mr. Thank you for encouraging me today. And so I think sometimes 
we have this thing about partnering with God that it has to be some big thing that we do. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that we go out there and we volunteer for this organization that we just feel so passionate about. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I think sometimes we fail to realize that day to day, as I'm going about my day, <coughs> and God nudges me towards something that I that I get in there with that person or whatever, and I dig around in there with them and I listen to their story because she had a story and she's lonely and she goes home every night by herself. And and I can't imagine I can't imagine having my children not be with me. You know, and waiting and hoping that somehow, some way, someone's going to allow them to come over here. And so I think, I just say that to say that sometimes I think we think it's something huge that we're supposed to be doing and partnering with God. Then maybe if we just spot enough and we listen, it could be some small thing mm. that we find ourselves in during that day where we're going to partner with God to meet the need of someone else by just encouraging them or. You know, listen to their story because we all have a story, and I think we fail to realize that all of us have a story, mm-hmm. and my story intertwines with your story somehow. So, I think sometimes just being still long enough to, when we get the nudge from God, that it be something that's small, but might be something very big to someone else. Oh, that's good. Thank you, Terry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that reminds me of the great Mother Teresa line that I'm gonna. Box, probably about the call isn't to do great things but to do small things with great love mm-hmm. and wondering you know how we do this and what it looks like for me it's always having to reframe and reorient myself back to the original calling which is to be a blessing mm-hmm. to and for the world mm-hmm. and it's not to be a gatekeeper mm-hmm. uh, it's not to be the morality police mm-hmm. uh, it's not to be the judge but to be a blessing called it Abraham, it's called the Hebrew people, it's called the church, but the call is to be a blessing, and then the rest of the stuff gets to get uh, figured out by the partner, uh, but the call is to be a blessing. Mm. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I really actually appreciate that comment, because questions mm-hmm. like these kind of uh, rub me the wrong way, because I feel like in... Uh, um, Growing up for me, I feel like questions like this always had an end game in mind of like evangelism, basically. Like, how do we partner with God? We tell everyone about Him and make sure they believe in Him too. And I, um, I really don't think that's the point. Um, I think the point is to care about people, like to care about the world. And um, if you're being a blessing in someone's life, like you're going to care about. <coughs> lonely or not, whether they can eat or not, whether, you know, anything, and uh, to me, I, I don't really care if they're like, oh, I believe in God too, I just, like, I care that they're loved and they know it, and um, so, so I struggle with this question sometimes because I don't think our point of loving the world and loving people is so they will believe in God. I think it's we should love them because they're God's creation. Hmm. It, it's There's confusion sometimes about what what the mission is that we're on. And and that's what I, I see that in Israel's story. Like, they think if we can be a powerful nation, you know, if we can kind of establish ourselves and be powerful and, um, and be better than everybody else because we're holy, then maybe we're fulfilling God's God's role for them, and I, I think that's missing the mark. It wasn't about um, power and uh, being better. It's about revealing who God is 
so that people can be drawn to him. Is what I, what I'm reading in in Exodus. Yeah, 19. but even if like like I don't even like to use so he can be drawn to them, like because that's still like an angle, right? Like it's yeah. just like you love people because God loves people. Like yeah. you love people because they're His people. Yeah, but it, <laughs> it, it it depends on if we believe God is good and the source of life. Then I think we love them without an end game. But right. we, want, we want them to be connected to that source if he is the source of life. But I understand why there's angst about that language because it's been used, to, it's been used in the other ways. So, I'm just, yeah. Yeah, I think, mean, like, like, being in partnership with God, it's like he's, he's giving us this huge gift, which, to be in that partnership, you have to listen a lot. Mm-hmm. To know, like, I think that maybe part of the issue with partnership is, <coughs> like, we think partnership and then we have all kinds of preconceived notions about what life looks like, like, there will be an end to the dumpster fire in this world. There's going to be no problem at some point if I can just this and just this and just this or get this or, you know. But I don't know that that's, that's not going to happen, you know. Like, I don't know. I think part of being in partnership is just trusting God and, like, walking with Him and listening to see what does that look like you know, and constantly asking, what does that look like for me, you know, and, and asking that on your own, asking that in community, ask, you know, not just, I'm not saying just isolate yourself to ask mm-hmm. that question, um, but also <coughs> feel like, if God is the source of life and we're in partnership and we're blessing other people, the thing is, I don't want them to think that I'm the source of that blessing. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, like I'm not saying I'm going to preach them a sermon or anything, but eventually I'd love, like you said, to get them connected to the source so that they're not coming to me as, as the source because I'm so broken mm-hmm. myself, you know, and I'm going to let them down. I'm not going to be there when they need, you know, I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, um, this is good discussion, and, and maybe we can continue the discussion um, in different formats and formation or MC level 